Welcome to Invisible Talks, where the truth, different perspectives, and stories are discussed with invisible voices. Media outlets varying using anonymous sources. There's no such thing as off the record, but here on Invisible Talks, all of our stories are off the record. If you're good, put the pieces together. I'm your host, Tyra Elin, recording in the Podcast Town studio. I want to hear your story and perspective to make my life better. I'm tuned in. We're back and we're introducing a new theme to our monthly lineup. It's called Invisible Entertainers. Once you're famous, you can never be invisible again. This is what we promised when we said we were going to give you access to spaces you weren't invited to. The catch is I'll let you know who the entertainer is towards the end of the episode. So you'll have to pretty much listen to the end. (laughs) She never fit in. She wasn't the fan favorite consistently. But she was forced to get comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. Today, she was able to transform her pain into moments of wisdom for others to listen to. And so we're going to rewind back to September 8th, 2021 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where you'll hear her perspective, transparency, and vulnerability as a celebrity, processing the pain and being strong in front of millions. You may not have a health diagnosis, but there are a lot of gems in navigating life mentally and staying true to self. Let's take a listen. But I'm doing Coachella. I get engaged. I'm doing, you know, some, some great things. And I ended up having some type of breakdown, a depressive episode that just lingered too long. And I just lost control it's you know and i was too comfortable in the dark place i was too comfortable thinking of suicide there's sometimes you just ruminate to where you know when you get so comfortable with something you do it like just like i'm comfortable putting sugar on my grits i can taste it i can see it i'm excited about the butter and that that heavy whipped cream I was too comfortable and I knew that I didn't want to do it, but I knew that I'm too comfortable with the thought that if I don't do it then, I'm going to do it. And so I knew that in 2018, even though I know God's been good to me, I just was like, I literally was telling God, I've lived a good life. What more do you have for me to do? What more could I possibly do? And um, God is the God of what more than you can ask, think, or imagine. My thoughts are not his thoughts. What he has, his ways are not my ways. So who was I to tell God? You know, God, I think I I lived a good life. I gave you the lesson. You don't tell me when it's supposed to be done and over. I can say that now with a sober mind. But in 2018, I was, I did not, in July, I did not have a sober mind. So in your book, you talk about the difference between transparency and vulnerability. So you are being very transparent and been transparent. But you also poured your soul into this book. What has it meant for your humanity as a celebrity to be vulnerable with your depression and anxiety? Being vulnerable is you literally only be willing to run out of here naked. No matter what somebody says, your desire is just to help. And people can see when it surfaces. But in order to touch the heart and to touch the soul, 
we must be vulnerable and be so vulnerable. I'm so open now to feel the burdens of people in this room right now. That's when you can be vulnerable, when um, our skin has pores. So when our skin has pores, we're porous people. We're vulnerable to infection. We're vulnerable. You can rub a CBD oil on your skin. It's so porous that you can feel the effect of that oil in your skin versus ingesting it. Granite and marble, if it's not sealed, it's porous. Spill water on it. That's why us with folks with granite and marble countertops, every few, every some of years, they want you to reseal it. Because if not, germ and bacteria gets in there, so that's vulnerable. So I, I just think of myself as being vulnerable to allow myself be vulnerable to not forget where I come from, continuously keeping it real to what help heal. That's your shirt, right? So is it scary? Is it scary for you to be vulnerable, or what was what was the transition period like? Um, my mother used to tell me I tell too much. I, I was dating somebody. Let's go. And, well, let me say, I didn't know we were dating. He was dating. I didn't know we were dating. <laughs> it's such thing. That's why you have to be clear on what the relationship is. Because I assumed he was dating other people because of who he is. And so I guess he was exclusive, but I didn't know it. So I went out with somebody else and I told them. Because sometimes you can tell too much at the wrong time and it does not have the desired effect that you want to tell. And there's one thing about telling too much and there's a whole other thing about being vulnerable. And wisdom and discerning, okay, what's correct for this room and for this house to share? And that's just reading, called reading the room. <laughs> you know? There's this notion of uh, a strong black woman. Mm -hmm. How did the notion of a strong black woman prevent you from getting help earlier? I don't know if you've ever been taught this or told this. I know my mother has told me, you come from a, you come from a strong lineage of women. So I thought strong men loud. I thought strong men, don't you take nothing from nobody and no man and make sure you, even hearing things like make sure you got pay phone money because you never want to be stuck. And my mom, my mother's mother told her, make sure you got your own stocking money. You don't ever want to have to depend on nobody to go get stockings. <laughs> what girl is this? <laughs> stockings and payphone money? So you kind of grow up with that. You don't need nobody to take care of you and blah, blah, blah. You're going to be fine. We are the backbone of the family. But nothing is wrong with... I've never seen my mom cry. That don't mean she's a bad woman. I saw her cry twice when my dad just passed and my grandmother's funeral like 12 or 13 years ago. We're not saying she doesn't cry, she just don't cry for us. So we think that's what being strong is because if I cry in front of you, I'm weak. I don't want you to know that mama don't have it all together. Versus taking the cape off. Most of the time when a child sees their mother cry, we run to them, we hope that we want to make it all better. So it is okay. 
um, for us to cry and to let emotion out around the safe people. Because as adults, we need safe people to be vulnerable with. Because what do we do? Girl, I don't know why you crying. You want me, girl? You better pull yourself together. Maybe that person needed that release. Now, you crying like every day around me, 10 and 12 times, 14, 21 times. I'm going to say, we need some assistance. That's what I'm going to say. But there are some times where a friend of mine's mother just passed two weeks, and I could tell it was a release that she needed. But I just don't know if we're taught that because if it's a weak thing or a faith thing, don't show, don't show the devil your tears. What? Well, I mean, in the, in the black church, the black Christian church, it's all, if you are struggling, take it to Jesus, right? That's what my family talks about a lot. So a lot of our um, history of mental, mental health challenges goes underground because we're just going to pray about it. Well, yeah. And not only do we say, take it to Jesus, it's you don't air out the family dirty laundry, right? We sweep stuff under a rug. Now, had this rug we're sitting on been here 10 years, if you lift up the rug, what's, it's filthy. That's what's in us. I don't mean filth as in like vulgar because you were promiscuous or anything. That just, but just what those dust bunnies and what that, it's filthy under there. It ain't clean. You ain't cleaning it out. You're not talking about it. You're not processing it with somebody because if I process my pain from childhood, I'm made to feel like I'm dishonoring my parents. Now, I grew up in a house where my mother's brother was our pastor. His other brothers were the ministers. Who can I go to at church? <laughs> Everybody in my family's got a position, so who can I go to? I need, and some people, you might be in that situation where you feel like you can't go to anybody, but thank God I had a mentor at school that I could, you know, tell the truth to. You know, but lots of us, we don't share because we feel like if I share, even if you share that mama and daddy got in an argument and it was, and, it, and they maybe physically threw some blows at each other. That's traumatic for a child to see. But if I tell that, I've told my parents' business. I've dishonored them versus me saying, I'm a child, I can tell you what I see, and um, I can tell you that it made me a <laughs> But when you're not able to express that for years of trauma inflicted on you, trauma that you were, it's also trauma if you witnessed it. Trauma doesn't have to just be pain on you. It can be what you saw. That's trauma. And if you can't share that with anybody, man, you start adulting. That stuff, T.T. My first name is Tanitra, so stuff from seven, between the ages of seven and twelve. When I'm thirty-five, I'm wondering why am I reacting like a twelve-year-old in certain instances. You need to go back to the unprocessed, untalked about, unhealed pain, wounds, and trauma. Now that does not mean it should be your identity, nor does that mean it should be your excuse for not moving forward. Or, or for bad choices. Well, this happened to me when I was 12, so, okay. I'm glad we're aware. Now we acknowledge, we process it, 
process it some more, process it some more, we heal. Because it can stop with you. Just because I didn't just because I didn't see healthy conflict resolution growing up between my two parents does not mean that, well, I didn't see that, so I'm gonna talk to my husband and he'll kind of like, because that's just what I saw growing up. No, it can stop with me. So that my seed sees two people handling conflict. It's cute. I never see my parents fight. Even then there, you don't know how to handle conflict when it rises. Because either you saw it in an unhealthy way, or you just didn't see it at all. Now hats off to parents who say, now Frank, now you want to take this in the bedroom. You ain't gonna do this in little front of Ray Ray and Kiki. Take this in the bedroom. That's actually, that's decent. It's honorable. But at the same time, that now that y'all took it in the bedroom, I don't know how to handle conflict. I have a friend whose parents it was shocking when his parents filed for divorce because he never saw them argue. I suppose so. My, my brain is going so many ways right now. You're great, by the way. Thank you. So are you. So one of the things that you're picking up on, and I want to go back to, is this notion of trauma. And lots of times, particularly for black folks, we think about generational trauma being passed down from generation to generation. And I was talking to a colleague of mine about it last year. She's like, you know, just like trauma can be passed down, so can healing. So what you are talking about is how do we pass down healing in an intentional way? Yeah, I mean, what is your choice? You don't want to pass down excuses. Um, a poverty mindset, or I'm going to pass down health, wealth, my mind and my spirit and my soul. So let's just go back to trauma for a second, because I think you talked a little, you hinted at this in terms, in your book, in terms of if you don't heal what broke your relationships, it'll show up in other places. Yes. So what do you do when trauma feels like home? Listen. <laughs> love those plush blankets. They're cozy. They kind of just, they just so, that's what we do with trauma, depression. We just, sometimes we just lay up with it, honey. I don't even want a man. I just want my depression. I just want, ooh, I just want dysfunction, honey. It's so good. It feels like home. It's so, because it's easy to go back into that place. But it's hard to get yourself out, and sometimes it's hard to stay out of it if you're not making it a daily habit. Okay, so 21 to 28 days of, so in, in the end of 2018, I moved to Atlanta. I didn't know I was gonna move there, but I ended up there. And I started making my bed every day. Because if not, I would stay in the bed because of depression. So I would make my bed, even if I sat back on it and watched TV, I was not under the covers. I wasn't what, I wasn't in comfort, you know? And that's what we, that's the work every single day. So now, even if I don't want to, I have to make my bed. I'm not saying I never 
made every I, I don't think who in here made their bed every day. <laughs> but you can have clothes everywhere, but when that that, that bed is made, it's something spiritual about it. It's something grounding, it's centering. I don't know. It's uh, I don't know. It's something. I don't know. It's just a made-up bed. It's it's decluttering. But a person that is depressed, you don't want to wash up. You don't want to wash dishes. You don't want to make the bed. But I didn't want to stay in that state. So it's things that I wanted to do to get me from being comfortable, laid in depression. So don't wrap yourself up in it. So every day it's symbolic when I make my bed because I don't want to be comfortable where I came from. So now it's like, I love the feeling of peace. I love the feeling of bliss. And it comes from doing the work. I still have a weekly appointment with my therapist. Sometimes we don't talk about nothing but crawfish. <laughs> Seriously, she gets paid. And we talk about crawfish and corn. <laughs> That's amazing. Meaning, yes. I, I really should have been able to taper, you know, my sessions. You go from every week, now you can go to twice a month. But, but what I didn't want to do was so, what got me to 2018, I've had been one of therapists since like 2013, 2014, right? But I would only go when something happened. Versus applying what she taught me in that in, in those sessions, I was just going to vent versus apply. So now I've been applying, and this woman is she's changed my life. It's like I don't want, I don't want to get my appointment up. <laughs> but I know, and we talked about this in the recent. I was like, I, I mentioned her in my book. Her name is Annie. I was like, Annie, I know somebody needs this slot. I know somebody needs this slot, so and you know, it's trusting the work, trusting that I don't have to call him. Mm -hmm. yep. Yes. Yep. And apply what what I've done. I'm not in I'm not in an emergency state anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm in a you. This is an application. You're healed. You're good. You don't need y'all. I agree with that. I do agree with that. Sometimes people need, I know someone who's had, who had to have it twice a day, every day. That's how traumatic that's, you know. And, and you know the load in which you need to talk to somebody, you know. So I want to talk about Destiny Cell. You used to be in, mm -hmm. I don't know if you do this. I mean, Gerard Red. It is you. Oh, you're who I replaced. <laughs> <laughs> That's who it was. I never do. That was amazing. So, okay. It's all love, by the way, with all the members. That was amazing. I promise you. God, the Betty and Beast is a Betty and you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Don't y'all put that out there. Keep putting your mental on that. Lord, 
Cindy's Child. And one of the things that I was struck with in your book was even when you were in Destiny's Child, there was this notion that you were hustling for your worth. Mm. And I'm like, you are the Michelle Williams. Why are you hustling for your worth? You are your fans were mad at me. Oh, There was no developing me in from the public eye. But I will say, of course, it ended up being all love, but I was probably a little insecure as well because I wasn't developed with Beyonce and Kelly. You know, I'm trying to literally get in where I fit in. It really wasn't until the Destiny Fulfilled album, our last album, that I felt cemented, you know, um, but I, that I really felt like I was flowing with water with the ladies. Do you still feel like you sometimes have to hustle for your word? Not hustle for my word. There is a difference. Um, shrinking versus being humble. Mm. Yes. Being yes. so, that close yes. transparency and being yes. vulnerable. Yes. Humility versus and shrinking. Oh, okay. But so I unpack that. I need a session. Yeah. <laughs> I want to unpack that as it relates to relationships. <laughs> Your eyes just got big. I'm an open book. Uh, I mean, it, yes, in the book. In the book. <laughs> um, do you ever have to feel? Because you are the Michelle Williams, the of Destiny's Child. Okay, I can understand. Yes. Um, what is it? Do you have to shrink yourself as this fabulous black woman to accommodate other people? Wow. I have. And when did you stop and how? Because I need to take notes. <laughs> Not that I'm the Michelle Lewis. So my, my godmother the other day, she was like, you called me. I have a word for you. <laughs> she said, if I wasn't sent in your life but to do one thing, you better have to know who you are. <laughs> yes, I promise you, that's what I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. And I told her I was just having the thought within days. That's how God answers prayer. Yeah. He hears you. He does. And that's what how I came up with the, the shrinking versus being humble. It's one thing to be humble. That's just this should just be a trait. Like that should, should you know. But shrinking to make other people comfortable, that's a problem. And it's almost a slap in God's face of who he created you to be. All right. Blessed you with. Stay up here so you can look down on other people. It stay up here. Somebody will gravitate and vibrate up and they'll get up there with you. Versus me dumbing myself down. Or me to make you feel good about yourself. I have I have done that. I've done and not with immediate family, but I've done that with family who actually should be where I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Say a word about that, mm -hmm. if you'd like. 
there are people who you have probably admired. You've gone on and surpassed them, but then they project on you. Out of, they're mad at themselves. They're not mad at you for you taking the opportunity. They're mad that they did. So they have to look at you in spaces that they should have been too. They have the same gifts, maybe even better. So, in terms of checking in. I think I talk about it in a book. You too. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just, no, and let me tell you why. I bring that up because I was thinking about that thing. And I know this is not a, like a faith-based setting, but <laughs> you. the enemy knew, even as a child, who you're destined to be. So he can use people close to you, people that you honor, admire, and respect, to say something, and it plants a seed. And you're wondering where the insecurity came from. Because somebody that you really like told you, you think you keep doing too much. Wow. No. I'm doing what you were supposed to be doing, but it's too much. It seems much, but if you rock with me, it ain't much. Because you're in your calling and your purpose. So when you're in your purpose and your calling, there are those who, you can be in your purpose and calling as the most fierce um, HR supervisor, but there is somebody who passed up the opportunity to do the interview. You were ready. You got the position and they didn't. You were ready. So how has checking in on yourself continued to make you ready? And when you haven't checked in on yourself, what has happened? I, I almost can feel it physically. I almost feel sick. But that's why I have been intentionally I'm having these moments, and these are moments where, okay, you need a little healing still. You still need some adjustments. I will be talking to Annie about the humility versus shrinking. I, 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 and I, I, was, I know it was because I was home two weeks ago, and I was around a lot of family. And I think I was, I don't know, triggered is the word. But a trigger is a good thing. Don't run away from it. Don't act out on it. But please just take a mental note. Okay. Because it lets you know, just because I've been doing all this work, and just because I'm touring, talking about checking in, there are still little tweaks and stuff that I'm finding that I'm having to do. And I'm thankful that this is a safe place that I'm even processing this aloud with y'all to let you know it, the work don't really stop. It does not stop. But yet, but that, that thing came back about the shrinking versus being humble and other people mad about missed opportunities. That just came up a couple weeks ago? Yeah, this came up a, week, a couple weeks ago and then my godmother literally called me yesterday. So how do you check your energetic boundaries and say, that's yours, not mine? Oh, observe, don't absorb. <laughs> That's good. Observe. Don't absorb unless you just feel called to that place to help. Even give advice. I've seen this many, 
Everybody don't want advice. Some just want attention. <laughs> because when I give you advice, it's because I know of a sure solution. And I'm leery of people who have a problem for every solution. You just wanted attention. Wow. You don't want change. You don't want transformation. Because you're comfortable in your dysfunction. And that's okay, because trauma, especially any type of abuse, if you feel like it was your fault, your worth is shot. It's low. Because no one looked you in the face and said, little girl, it is not your fault. Wow. Young man, it is not your fault. That is not who you are. That is not your label. It happened to you. It happened to you, right? But it is not your fault. So we even walk around um, our physical bodies take on what we think about ourselves. You can see it in somebody's eyes. I can. I'm a little nervous right now because I don't know what you see. <laughs> yeah. You can see when somebody's progressing and they're in their healing. Then you can see somebody, I'm just giving up because this is, this is who I am. My mama said, I'll always be like this because my daddy like this. Each going to be just like your daddy. So, I tell this everywhere I go. I, don't, I try to tie it into mental health. My life has changed in uh, 2020. Um, yeah, I still pray for friends. Because your destiny goes at the speed of your relationships. And a friend of mine called me. His name is David Ibonitier founder of Believe Nation, and he was so hyped about this word, future. You probably heard me talk about it many times on the podcast. He was like, the word future. I was like, tell me what the word future means. Possibilities. Huh? Possibilities, something coming up, something next. What's ahead? What's ahead? I was like, yeah, that's what it means, something that's coming. He said, no. <laughs> Look at the definition. Hey, man, that thing said. <laughs> the time or the time or a period of time following speaking or writing. Look at yeah, Say that again. So if you got service, because <laughs> I didn't have a signal back there. Somebody look up the word future right now. Well, it says future the rapper. Future the rapper, may bless his soul. I'm not talking about future the rapper, I'm talking about the word. Wow. That's what that thing said? That's what it says. Wow. Spoke or wrote something about you. Wow. But the amazing thing is, it don't matter what they speak or write about you. It's what what do you speak or write about yourself? So if it's the time or period of time following speaking or writing, I have a hand in my healing. That's right. Okay, let's go with yeah. If you want to go to scripture, because that's what the dictionary said. Now, even if the dictionary say that. All right, what does the word say? Life and death. 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 
about what I speak or write. Just the other day on Facebook, I have an account and I just lurk on my family. It's quite entertaining. And my niece was taking her brother to school. She said, have a good day, Miles. He said, I'll try. I got in that group chat so quick. So what you mean you gonna try? You will have a good day. You are gonna make great friends who are gonna be a positive influence on your life this entire school year. And I say, you are gonna have favor with teachers and staff. What do you mean you gonna try? You will have a good day. And what did he respond? They were, I said, so then it was silent. I said, y'all only hanging? <laughs> and then they were like, yes ma'am, yes ma'am, I'm gonna have a, you know. So you, we have to be intentional about what we speak or write. Our future, we have a hand in curating what we speak or write. In my book, I talk about what was I saying? I'm never gonna make it down the aisle. I'm never gonna make it down the aisle. Do you wanna make it down the aisle? <laughs> Your words and all of this happening and your book coming out during this time period, right? I think about the notion of what it means to live during an apocalypse. <laughs> Did you just say yeesh? Sounds like you're from Wisconsin. <laughs> so, and when I think about the word apocalypse, it means an unveiling, a revelation of, you know, of sorts. What is being revealed for you in this period in time of life now that you've published this book? What's being revealed for you and what is being revealed for all of us? Um, Sorry, I did on purpose. Yeah. My purpose was mm. revealed, highlighted, elevated, I've cemented in it. Mm. Now when I look back, I don't want it. That pain was not cool. It was yucky. But it got me here. Mm, mm. to free other people. Mm. I can see it and smell it a mile away. Mm -hmm. I can see depression on somebody. Yes. I can see it. So that's why I have authority because of my testimony. Mm. Yes, I don't play with it. Mm. I love that you said your purpose was revealed. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Because a lot of people like, God's got great things, God's got great Making sure that somebody decides to live. I know what it's like. I told you I was playing Let's Make a Deal with God. So if you could write a love letter to someone in the death of depression right now, what would you want them to say? You're gonna live to see it happen. Yes. Live, 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 live. live. You're gonna live to see it happen. I would tell them to live. I would tell them, I know it don't feel like it. Whatever that it is, if it's not life-giving, remove it, right? But it gets better. You, how about you? Get better.
thrive, you will heal, you will be whole, and you will be set free. And I don't mean set free as because I laid hands on you and yelled, ah, thank you, you set free. <laughs> Walk right out of here and still be Nothing changed. Miracles are instant, right? Sometimes healing can take some time. It could be an ongoing thing. I'm still healing, obviously. Right? I'll just tell somebody, please live. There, there have been a few deaths by suicide, and if I could just have the bull to tell them. You're loved, you're seen. And the enemy isolates you and make you feel like nobody understands what you're going through. No one could possibly be going through this. That's a lie. It is a lie. Whether you're a Christian, whatever religion you are, belief culture, that's from hell. <laughs> it's from a dark place. Any thought, this is how I decipher thoughts. If it's a God thought or a dark thought, is it life-giving? Is it correcting? Because everything ain't always, woo! Some stuff is correction. But when it's like telling you to take your life, when it's telling you nobody loves you, that is a lie. My close friend's sister just died by suicide because she didn't believe anybody loved her. That is a lie. I asked God the other day about self-love. I've been seeing a lot of things about self-love. It's like, man, where does, what is it? Where do you start? Where does it begin? The response I got, self-love is what can start and what you say to yourself and what you say about yourself, okay? And what is the word future? The time or period of time is following, speaking, or writing. So I am healed, I am whole, I am an overcomer. I am successful. I am free from depression. I am free from anything that seems to be generational. I am free from that. You can tell yourself you'll write a book about it one day. You'll open up a nonprofit to help other people that are suffering. You're, you are going to live. You have to live. You have to heal. So anybody in here having any thoughts, we're not playing let's make a deal with God, none of that. You will live. You're needed. I can't do all this work on my own. We need everybody in every county, every city, every state. I don't care if it's just you at your church. You're needed. So I'm going to talk, ask about another love letter. What did you, what would your love letter to yourself be right now? My love letter to myself would be the thing about the self-love. What's your love letter to yourself? See, this is all lining up. 
about self-love. Making my love letter would say, make, make sure you know what you're saying to yourself and about yourself. Because somebody else can say it, that don't mean you gotta believe it. What am I saying to myself? I belong here. I've gone to places and feeling like I don't belong. No, you got the invitation and you belong here. You're qualified. You're qualified. You are not your pain, you are not your past. Even if you are the inflictor of pain and abuse, there's hope for you. I've said some words out of my mouth that would really disqualify me from being up here right now if it was up to humans. I've inflicted pain on people. Forgive, even if the relationship don't rock the same. Our job is to forgive, ask for forgiveness, because people also think forgiveness means automatic restoration of the relationship. We're not going to brunch no more, bro. We're not. <laughs> Sus. <laughs> but I forgive you. If I see you at church, hey, oh, you look good at that. Nice. Amen. We're not going out to eat. <laughs> forgiveness does not mean restoration of said relationship. It don't mean it's going to go back to the way it's supposed to be. You talk about the difference between reconciliation and restoration. And restoration. Reconciliation is becoming to some type of agreement. Okay, we reconcile. Okay, cool. Restoration. Oh, we gotta go. Ten minutes. Okay. Restoration. Restor restore is what it means. It, it, restoring. I, I know it says restore it back to its condition. I kind of don't want it to restore it back. You know, when I when I read that part of the book, what came up to me and what I made a note of is. What does that mean for racial justice in our community, in our country? So what are your thoughts on, yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> People not dismissing. I don't think there can be any restoration or any reconciliation when pain of any kind is dismissed. You mean like gaslighting that happens? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, gaslighting, yeah. So, Pain that is dismissed. Well, I didn't do that to you. Well, your great, 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 granddad did. Okay, y'all still got some remnants of it. Resume. I'm not saying it's you, but what I'm saying is don't dismiss. Well, we come, we the world is is moving on, but that's just in relationship. Period. I cannot dismiss your pain. We can be talking about, I might burn your head with a pressing cone. I cannot dismiss that hurt. So if you tell me that hurt or that hurt my family, I am supposed to say, I am sorry that that hurt you, that I hurt you, or that somewhere along the line, I had anything to do with that. What do you need of me? That makes a safe person. What do you need of me? I need you to understand. And it's okay to say, help me understand. How do I understand? Okay, well look at this literature, read this. This is a trusted resource. Okay, well will you come to church with me so you can know my culture? Will you come to the barbecue with me to know? We're not being aggressive. We just excited because the barbecue sauce was good. 
That's how we restore or reconcile. I think the root of it is not dismissing pain, whether it's racial, relational, but let's not dismiss pain. Let's not dismiss not just Other races could have gone through some pretty horrific things. So let's not dismiss it. So I love that you're talking about dismissing pain because this brings me way back to the beginning of our conversation and how, as black children, we are often taught to not pay attention to our pain. Yeah. And how Get up, boy. Don't cry. We don't cry. Right. Right. White me. I see white me. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all, I. I ran into a glass table the other day on my, the corner of my table. It's pretty, pretty, so it's white meat right there. You know what that means? Yeah. Yeah, it's that sub-nervous. Me and I totally lost track of where I was going. Because <laughs> I was not going to wear this dress because I was like, I have a scar. Oh, you were? But you were seeing Michelle Williams. Show the scars. Show them. You just gonna put makeup on, but what if I brushed up against somebody and they got white pants on or something? <laughs> <laughs> now that's a rule, y'all. We we gotta stick to that rule. If you wanna wear white after Labor Day, wear white. So you're dismissing pain. Oh my God. Generations of white folks, colonizers, whatever you want to call them, um, have dismissed the pain of folks of color in our country and our habit of dis dismissing our own pain from initially survival, but it's not necessary anymore. Is there a connection there? There could be. I, I feel like, as my grandmother would say, she just said, would say this about anybody. They play me well. <laughs> she means well. He means well. Oh my God. That's like a southern bless your heart. I feel like some people mean well because they see so much progression with our people. Mm -hmm. Well, why? But aren't you? Um, you're a doctor, and why? I mean, you were able to do this, but it don't it don't dismiss the stripes on. We just kind of getting out of it. 1960s, 1970s, just the voting stuff, civil rights, right. that, that was yesterday. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. This, this, I mean, that was this, you know. So I just think it has a lot to do with people wanting us to see where, how far we've come versus acknowledging the root of pain. So even as it relates to just dismissing your own pain, it's rooted. If you don't uproot it, it is going to reveal itself in relationships somehow. But I really think people mean well when somebody says somebody's loved one dies. Oh, they're in a better place. They mean well when they say that. I want them here. Heaven might be a better place. Cool. So we mean well when we say things like that. Mm -hmm. I think people mean well when they try try to help us tell dismiss pain. Yes. And then some of it is just so if, if I try to dismiss your pain and the pain of our people.
There is a tie. I guarantee you that there's pain in their hearts and their family and them in their household that they dismissed because they weren't taught how or made to feel like it's okay, Danny. It's okay, Ricky. It's okay, Shayna, that you fell and you're bloody. We gonna wipe it off. It hurts and it will heal. So you are giving a ton of your stuff. You're on this book tour talking about your pain and your healing and your healing continued healing process. But what do you need from communities all across the United States to help sustain you on your journey? Ooh, um, heal with me. I heal with you. Let's do the work. There's so many cool resources. And I'm thankful for the sponsors and um, people that brought this together. I don't think I, I'm trying to figure out if I've ever seen a film festival integrate mental health in its, it gave us a day, it gave us a few hours or something. So we're finding out so many people in entertainment are still in with mental health issues. So I would just say there are resources like psychologytoday.com, um, the college, um, the, yeah, I can, I can imagine that there are a ton of resources and links and tabs that they could give people in this room who say, you know what, I think I want to, you know, Michelle and her therapist, they've been talking about crawfish. I mean, she's, she's a little further along her journey, but I want to heal from something my dad did to me. I want to heal from something mama said to me. I want to heal from being bullied at school. I want to heal from this relationship that broke my heart. And I just feel like maybe I'm not supposed to do a relationship. We are. We're humans. We're meant for connection. So as we close out our conversation, what's on your heart and mind? And if it's in a song, that's cool. <laughs> you married. What? I mean, I feel like you just ran game. <laughs> I feel like she just ran game. Um, yeah. Then y'all should kind of use that. Um, so you know what? Um,
Michelle Williams is reminding us with every bit of pain, there's purpose. Remember, your life is worth it because he lives. The invisible talks that you need to have with yourself this week are, what has been the most difficult mindset or experience that you've had to overcome since COVID of 2020? Now find the blessing in it and how that situation has strengthened you because we all can be strengthened through every encounter that we experience. Until next time. That's all we've got for today's episode here at Podcast Town Studio. These stories, they connect us. The ultimate question, what was the journey like to freedom? Wait, freedom is agreeing to disagree, different perspectives, healing from within, all because life and legacy are complex. We see people everywhere, but do we really see them? Their thoughts, griefs, pain or struggles? To be strong is to heal. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he will help you catch your breath. Remember to breathe. You're stronger than you think. Make sure you stay connected by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Invisible Talks Podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Tyra Elon.